Welcome to Did You Miss It, the podcast for true crime diehards, where we dive deeper into lesser-known murders, mysteries, conspiracy theories, and so much more. I'm Abby, and I'm here with my co-host and sidekick, Georgia. Hi, everybody. And for this week's episode, we will be talking about the suicide or murder of John Lang. Best believe this case will leave you saying, how did I miss this? So, G, how are we doing this week? I am good. I am good. I don't want to date the podcast too much, but I'm gearing up to head away for a bit of a tropical vacay. So I'm feeling good. What about you, Abby? Nice. I feel like this week, this month, sorry, is hectic for both of us. I've just come back from Ibiza, although it was 16 hours of craziness, so not really... Well, I guess that is actually Ibiza for most people. Crazy, hectic, lack of sleep, on the go all the time. But um, I was working. But yeah, so that was fun. Um, And yeah, you're away on holiday. Not going to drop the location in case anyone finds out. But um, it's just crazy this month. So yeah, lots to look forward to for both of us. It is. It's very exciting. And the thing I'm looking forward to the most at the moment is this case. This is the first one we've recorded where I genuinely have no clue about the case abby has kept it locked tight yeah i have had strict orders to not read anything apart from actually i did give you some videos to watch beforehand i was gonna say i've had a few little instructions but they were very strict only watch these don't look at the comments you know keep your blinkers on so i have and i'm excited to see where they all fit in the story Before we get into this case, it's important to note that we will be talking about themes such as murder and suicide. You may find these subjects triggering or disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for respecting this content warning and taking care of your own well-being. Today we're going to talk about the mysterious death of internet activist and police whistleblower Mr John Paul Lang. Be prepared to have your mind changed multiple times throughout this case. Whether you tend to have your head turned easily to the thought of a great conspiracy theory or not, I think everyone who listens to John's story will have a tough time making up their mind. So let's see and get into the case. On January 20th, 2016, at around 3pm in Fresno, California, John's neighbours noticed smoke pouring out of his home and called 911. His home was like Fort Knox, secured by iron gates, so much so that the fire department had to force their way onto his property, according to local news reports. When they attempted to enter the house, they discovered all entrances had been barricaded from the inside and they struggled to break their way in. When firefighters were finally able to get in, they found John unconscious and bleeding, lying on the floor at the back of his home. Once the fires were put out and investigators got to work, they found something strange in John's living room. On the floor was a mattress, Right beside it were two monitors that appeared to be connected to surveillance cameras outside. It appears as if he slept next to these monitors as well, almost like he couldn't sleep at night without knowing he was always two seconds away from watching the perimeters of his house. John was rushed to the hospital where he was pronounced dead on arrival. The fire is said to have been set intentionally. Right now, let's rewind. Who was John Lang? He was an ex-Marine, When he died, he was 51 years old, born in Ohio, and then moved to Fresno at some point in his life. It isn't clear when or why he relocated to the Fresno area. For someone who had such an active role in his YouTube account and presence on there, there really isn't a whole lot known about John outside of his activism. From all the records and reporting I looked into, there isn't any photos of John on the internet, 
none of that had been confirmed to be him anyway, which, let's be honest, is pretty weird in this day and age. We aren't talking about the early 2000s when the internet was just beginning. This is 2016, only seven years ago. He worked at a local Payless Brakes and Tyres. John also ran two businesses being connected to his North Furness Avenue address and his phone number. Lang Marine, a marine supply shop, also the name of his YouTube channel, FY if anyone wants to check out the videos, and the other was something called Valley Handyman. We also know that he was once married to Elma Luceberg and that they had one daughter named Emma. Their marriage hit a rough point starting in 2009 and Alma filed for divorce in August of 2011. And then it appears that it had been finalised three months later in November. And that's all we really know about this guy's personal life. No real footprint on the internet. Several years prior to his death, John became known in the Tower District community for his police accountability activism and for exposing corruption within the Fresno Police Department. More specifically, he apparently alleged the police were conducting an unethical and potentially illegal number plate scanning scam in low-income neighbourhoods. Allegedly, they would patrol different stores' car parks, scanning number plates to see if they could find criminals and drivers or unregistered vehicles. Then they would pull over their targets when they left the car park, possibly scanning those plates in unmarked cars, but no one really knows how John discovered this game. In my digging, one source said that the court records in Fresno County show that John Paul Lang was cited for operating an unregistered vehicle in September of 2008. So the timeline could point to John falling victim to the police's antics. John began to voice his concerns about the Fresno Police Department, starting with comments here and there on articles posted online from the local newspaper, Fresno Bee. And that is when the trouble starts to find John. John created a website, jodymurray.com, where he started posting what seems to be his first initial breaking point. Sadly, this website has been taken down now, so I couldn't view it myself, but there's lots of posts about it and a John Lang Reddit thread where all this information is available. He claimed that Fresno law enforcement were trying to set him up on a charge related to illegal images of children. He then goes on to say, quote, I've mentioned in the past Fresno LE had illegally and secretly entered my home, copied my hard drives in order to get a good game plan for the eventual false arrest. Also, there appears to be a pattern here. Anyone who has ever talked publicly about, accused or discussed Jerry Dyer's supposed scandal with that 16-year-old girl has found themselves and some type of legal payroll within a sh few short years, end quote. So, I found out that Jerry Dyer did in fact face allegations, as John described. He signs off with, quote, and with this letter, I have for certain signed my death from the Fresno Ellie, end quote. To clarify, Jerry Dyer was at the time a police officer and since 2021 has become the 26th mayor of Fresno. He also stated that in 2013, he sent emails to the Fresno Bee and the Sacramento Bee newspapers, informing their editors that a Fresno Bee employee by the name of Jody Murray had been sharing the IP log data of commenters of the newspaper with Fresno sheriffs, the same Jody Murray that John so kindly named his website after. And these same sheriffs were harassing these people who were posting comments on the website. John then claimed that after sending these said emails, he was being watched, followed and harassed by the Fresno Police Department and that officers were using intimidation tactics against him. This is when the YouTube channel and home surveillance videos start coming into play in this case. He recorded most, 
if not all of the alleged incidents either on jodymurray.com or on his YouTube channel, Lang Marine. As I said earlier, I suggest checking out this YouTube channel for yourselves to see what was happening to help make up your mind on this case. Because I'm not gonna lie, the comment section is a true crime conspiracy theorist dream, as G would know. I was gonna say, as a, I mean, I love my true crime, with, you know, believe it or not, but I'm a, a big conspiracy theorist. That's probably where my, my heart resides slightly more and it took everything in my power not to scroll down and see what the people of YouTube were saying on these videos when I was doing my strict research. It was, yeah, I'm excited after this to go back and look. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, you'll you'll definitely go into a deep dive afterwards and get lost in a little wormhole of it. John frequently posted footage from his home security cameras. He also filed a complaint about all the goings-on to the Office of Independent Review in March of 2015, which John claimed heightened the harassment from the local police. Both G and I have watched these videos to try and decipher what's going on. So, G, as we mentioned before, I'll put you on some strict research plans, but... Do you mind talking us through the video John took in April 2015 on his home surveillance? Of course. So, it starts with a dark coloured van, which can be seen parked directly opposite from his home. Its side sliding door open and someone can be seen holding up some kind of large camera pointed in the direction of his house. It looks like a camera you would use to be filming things on the go, I guess as it's got a handheld base to it that I believe is used to stabilise any motion. That's not something you would see every day, but if it happened to you, would you also think it was you being filmed, or would you just think they were fooling around? So I looked into what John thought, and also what the public thought, and so like John's perspective was he thought it was an infrared thermal imaging camera penetrating the walls of his house, so the Fresno police could basically see if he was home and track his movements. In the same video post, he commented saying, quote, they then phone a waiting second party with information as to whether or not I am home, end quote. The public have since debunked this. Camera experts have come forward to say that it looks like a Canon X, which is a pretty standard camera for filming TV and production, and definitely not a thermal imaging one. Also, apparently, even if it was a thermal imaging one, it would never be strong enough to look through the brick walls of John's house, also, wouldn't they be more subtle about it? Instead of opening a door so it's clearly visible, anyone could have seen that. Yeah, but are they maybe like just taunting him a bit? Like, we're watching you and there's nothing you can do about it? That, or they didn't know yet he had surveillance cameras up, either or. But I will say it's a bloody weird coincidence, don't you think? Like, let's say that they're, they're not the police trying to track John. We'll never actually know, but it is strange that not long after he started claiming all these goings on by the Fresno police, a camera crew hidden in a van just happened to be outside his home on the opposite side of the road filming God knows what. It just doesn't make sense to me. Mm-mm, not at all. Then there's another video posted a month later. G, can you talk us through what you can see in this one, please? So it shows six police officers parked alongside John's road in a couple of cars. They seem to just be having a general chat, standing under some lampposts, so they are well lit up for the night time. No one's looking in John's house's direction, and they don't do anything apart from just kind of stand there. On John's post, he wrote, That night, he felt the incident was designed to send him a message. In his words, quote, Fresno PD boldly and arrogantly stood in gang formation directly across the street from my home to send me yet another Fresno PD signature message, end quote. Now flash forward to January 14th, 2016, almost one year later. 
John puts up a pleading post on his Facebook account which read, quote, Just wanted to give you guys a heads up. If anything happens to me in the next day or two, it will be the result of Fresno PD, my neighbour and an employee at my job, Payless Brakes and Tires, on Blackstone, end quote. The next day he had posted on the Facebook page wall of Corin Hoggard, a journalist with ABC 30 Action News. He told the journalist, quote, Corin, do you want some news? Corrupt Fresno cops are going to try and kill me this weekend, possibly tonight. This is no joke, end quote. This is insane. Like, it's so wild to have that put on your Facebook wall. It's wild, like, isn't it? I was going to say, or to be scared enough to feel like you have to put it on someone's Facebook wall. I don't know what's more terrifying. Then the next day, he posted another YouTube video, which is looking at the front gate of his next door neighbour's house. Gee, can you describe what you could see so our listeners can picture it for themselves? The side of the van says guarantee carpet cleaning, and then things start to get really weird. As some people have said, this business doesn't even exist, according to one YouTube comment. Anyway, so you see a man standing by the passenger door. He's standing on the pavement outside the neighbor's house with his arm up on the roof of the car, leaning in and talking to someone while smoking, which already is a health hazard. He walks to drop a leaflet off in the neighbor's post box that's attached to their gate, and that's all he does. But he does seem to be looking around quite a bit. And a couple of times, it looks as if he's looking directly at John's house. And then on one occasion, he's pretty much looking straight into the camera. Like, straight into it. Full eye contact. Hi, I'm the main character. We don't know how visible these cameras were to bystanders, but that still feels pretty sketchy to me. Yeah, agreed. So then I got into a black hole on Reddit and other chat forums, as you do as I do, and people were commenting about how fake the website looks and like it's not a legitimate company. So of course, as any good sleuth would do, I googled it myself and I have to say it is a very, very basic looking website. No reviews, nothing showing any sort of interaction, there's no photos of jobs they've done or anything like that and the company has no base office or address. Weird if you ask me. Um, so the company was originally registered with the state of California in 2015 and then it was owned by Clovis Resident, which is somewhere in California, um, by the name of Zaki. And in 2019, the company was dissolved. Now back to the topic of whether this business is real. Those Redditor sleuths I was talking about have taken it upon themselves to actually call Guarantee Carpet Cleaning and were shocked when someone answered and confirmed it was a legitimate company. Another person, though, they said that the website was deleted just after John posted the video and three days before his death. But like I say, I found the website myself, so unless it's been put back online since then, this could be someone trying to add details that aren't true, trying to get themselves involved in the story. I don't know. But if this is true, isn't that really suspicious? Well, it is to me. The caption of the same video, John said, quote, if I turn up missing or dead tomorrow, remember this man. I think I seen a couple of guys sneak out the side of the door and into the building when it was parked in the carport this afternoon. I've been causing the city of Fresno a lot of problems recently, which I now regret, end quote. This foreshadowing is like, is crazy to me. Whether John was correct or had extreme paranoia, he was right about his death. Like, come on, he turns up dead three days later. Honestly, it's insane. Like, yeah, like you say, whether he's right or it's paranoia, it almost doesn't matter because it happened. 
yeah, how how weird of coincidence could it be? Exactly. Like, the world is small, don't get me wrong. Coincidences happen every day, but I don't necessarily think things like that just come out of the blue, especially knowing what we know. That same night, he put out a Facebook post begging for protection, which read, quote, Anyone want to crash in my pad tonight? Must be a legal gun owner. I think the bad guys may come and get me tonight, end quote. In the days leading up to his death, John made several clearly distressed posts. It was obvious he feared for his life, despite whether his fear was unfounded or not. And then, this is where his story comes up for debate. As I have mentioned before, people claim that John was suffering from paranoid delusions and mental illness. But this cannot be confirmed. Like, there was never a diagnosis, and John never reached out to family or friends to convey this. He truly believed he was going to be killed by the Fresno police. On the other hand, anti-corruption activists say that this is yet another case of killing off a whistleblower. When John Lang's body was discovered by first responders, a Fresno Bee journalist, Rory Appleton, originally reported the death was suspicious and was being investigated by homicide detectives. According to this initial article, Fresno Police Lieutenant Joe Gomez said that John had sustained multiple stab wounds to his abdomen and upper back, but it wasn't clear if he died from the injuries or from the fire itself. I mean, that sounds like murder to me, right? Yeah, I don't think you stab yourself in the upper back. I don't know how flexible his shoulders were, but it doesn't scream suicide to me. No, so remember that. Put a pin in that. Four days later, the Fresno Bee once again reported that John had sustained multiple stab wounds to his abdomen and upper back. Twice, on two separate reportings, it is said that John had been stabbed in the back. Nearly two months later, the report corrected their initial findings with new information. March 31st, 2016, the B reported that John's death had been officially confirmed as a suicide. You heard that correctly. Not homicide. I'm sorry. What? Oh yeah, the plot thickens. A spokesperson for the Fresno County Sheriff and Coroner, Tony Botti, was quoted saying, quote, that the activists had sustained three superficial self-inflicted stab wounds to the chest and no cuts on his back despite initial reports by law enforcement, end quote. Tony Botti also said that officials believed John had started the fire himself. When the coroner's report was finally released, the story became even more controversial. According to Deputy Coroner Loretta Andrews' report, which was performed the day after John's death, the manner of his death was recorded as suicide and the cause of death was determined to be inhalation of smoke and soot due to fire. The coroner's report also mentioned that John's clothing had been removed and was lying beneath his body in the white body bag in which he'd been placed after his death. The report specifically noted that there were no tears in John's t-shirt that would correspond with the stab wounds on the body. I know we're all thinking the same thing here. How was that possible if he stabbed how, himself? How exactly? How was how was I just don't understand, like, I'm actually lost for words. Even if, surely you would, I mean, I'm not a scientist. I don't even know if that's what you'd be to discuss this, but surely you'd bleed out before you die of smoke inhalation, no? I guess it would depend on what kind of wounds. They're saying they're superficial. Yeah, I guess, but I'm not sure. The report goes on to say that Fresno police brought in two different knives with the body for the coroner to examine. A Japanese kitchen knife with a smooth edge and a seven inch blade length with a three quarter inch wide tip. 
They stated the second knife was a serrated bread knife with the blade less than half an inch in width and 10 inch in blade length. Based on the appearance of John's stab wounds to the sternum and the front of the heart, they concluded that the serrated bread knife was the weapon used in the stabbings. So let's backtrack for a second and remember what the Fresno County Sheriff spokesman Tony Botti publicly stated. That the stab wounds were superficial, which would mean they're very shallow, not penetrating much at all. Yet, in the coroner's report, it states that the front of John's heart had actually been penetrated, which would suggest it was not a superficial wound, right? Am I missing something? I, I don't know. You are definitely not missing anything. A superficial wound does not touch your heart. I'm sorry, that's not how this works. Right? The report goes on to say in detail about the three wounds. G, do you mind reading out for me? And I'm sorry to you and to the listeners for using all the sciencey words, but I want you to hear exactly what the coroner wrote so that you get the full picture of John's injuries. Of course. Now, I'm no doctor, so everyone bear with me. The top stab wound perforates the sternum at the left fourth rib level, perforates the interior surface of the pericardial sac and perforates the upper front of the right ventricle of the heart. The heart is linear and measures less than a quarter of an inch. The inside of the heart is free of injury. The pericardial sac contains less than 15 millilitres of liquid blood. So am I right in thinking that they're saying this guy stabbed himself with a serrated bread knife so hard that it penetrated not only his thick breastbone, but it even managed to pierce his heart? Yeah. Exactly. A serrated kitchen knife, you know, the one that used sliced bread, is being said to have caused that much injury by his own hands as well. So unless he'd held it onto his chest and, like, I don't know, forced himself to fall into it, I don't really understand, like, how it was physically possible. He doesn't humanly have enough strength, like, surely. Also, it's blunt. It's, it doesn't have a sharp tip, like a... Exactly, that's what I'm saying. The report then says the second stab wound, described as the middle stab wound, also pierced the sternum and created a pinhole in the pericardial sac, creating a superficial scrape over the front of the lower right ventricle of the heart. Then the third, or lowest stab wound, was also documented as having penetrated the sternum but did not go completely through it. And that's all the report mentioned on stab wounds. So yeah, you heard that right. Three stab wounds the front of his body, no mention of the upper back stab wound as was initially reported by the Fresno Bee and the spokesperson from the police, Tony Botti. Strange, right? Now, for the fire damage. The coroner's report also states that John had soot present all over his hands, face and feet only, nowhere else on his body. Which to me sounds like he must have been wearing clothes, you know, the same clothes that were placed beneath his body in the body bag. But remember, the same report from the examiner saying that there were no tears or holes in his clothes that corresponded with these wounds. So tell me how this makes sense that he stabbed himself. Like, I know it's feasible he could have lifted up his shirt to do it himself, but if I think about it, like stabbing yourself with a serrated knife, it's hard enough to penetrate the heart, surely, like it's requiring two hands. So if that's actually what he did, so then surely he wouldn't have been able to lift up his shirt and stab himself at the same time. He doesn't have three hands, he's got two. Honestly, I have so so many questions, but I will come back to that as I'm sure you do too. Inhalation of smoke and soot was the official ruling in John's death. 
This was due to the soot found in his mouth, throat and lungs, which resulted in one collapsed lung, as well as blood sample taken in the autopsy, which showed levels of 31% carbon monoxide. And the question continues after hearing about the surveillance cameras and what they didn't capture. Testimony about the crime scene from the deputy coroner Loretta Andrews explains that John's outdoor security cameras had been functioning just until the firefighters arrived at the scene and that his indoor security camera had been functioning until the day before his death. His indoor camera captures John sitting in the living room area with a large knife in hand, displaying it to the camera and then he took it to another room. John then later approached the camera, shut it off and that's all the recording, that's where it stops. These final moments of John's inside of the house have never been released to the public. It has been pointed out that the involvement of police in the coroner's autopsy seemed suspicious. Attending it were two Fresno Police Department detectives, one Fresno Fire Department fire investigator, and one Bureau of Investigations technician from the Fresno Police Department. But from cases I've heard before, as I'm sure you all have, and doing some research on this case, it is quite normal for police to be present for an autopsy. But saying that, those specific ones, I'm not too sure, and I guess we, we won't ever know. So I know what you're all thinking, because I am too. It's a lot, so there's so many unanswered questions. How did he get stabbed? Why did his shirt have no holes? Why did they initially say he was stabbed in the back? I can answer one of these questions for you. So Fresno Police Department said the initial reporting was a mistake and incorrect information was given to the public. I don't know how many times I've ever heard that before. It's a first for me, but okay. That's what I was just about to say. I don't think I've ever heard of a kind of high-profile case like this where, yeah, the first report is, yeah, and they have to kind of almost cover their ass in a way. Like, you don't say anything until you know something. Police aren't there to make, you know, guesses off of nothing. Many activists, conspiracy theorists, whatever you want to call them, say it's clear that John was murdered and the Fresno police had something to do with it and it's all one big cover-up. On the other hand, you have members of the public saying that John was clearly paranoid and he had a mental illness that needed treatment. And honestly, I can see both sides. In my head, like, it can't be a coincidence with the cameraman outside John's house. Then his letter to the police signing his life away, basically, after calling out Jerry Dyer, and then his final post on Facebook, plus the self-inflicted stab wounds. But then on the other hand, he was barricaded in, so like, how did anyone manage to escape if someone else did do this? And he supposedly turned the camera off himself while holding the knife, so that kind of is showing what he was about to do. So, now you've heard the evidence, as well as the run-up to John's final days in his own words and thoughts, what are we thinking? Whew! <sighs> I, my first thought is I'm glad I didn't do any previous research because hearing that for the first time with the listeners has been a wild ride. I think up until we got to the stab wounds, I was maybe questioning, you know, that maybe John was just paranoid and, you know, you know, things happen to people and sometimes they go, you know, a little bit crazy um but the stab wounds really solidified it for me that I just don't see how someone could use a bread knife to penetrate not only their thick breastbone but all the way into their heart 
completely agree. I, yeah, I could, like I say, I can definitely see both sides to it, but it just, none of the stuff makes sense. None of the evidence is pointing in the direction of suicide. You would think if they wanted to really do a good cover-up, they would have said it was the Japanese, like the pointed knife, the big one that they'd used to do it. But they decided to go with the serrated knife story and that just confuses me. Exactly, that's what makes me think that it is more of a cover-up, is the little mistakes that have been made. It's like someone wasn't clued in on the story. You know, the poor intern, bless him, who's just there doing his job, wasn't clued in on the story that, no, we're not saying it's the bread knife and no, we're not talking about the backstab wounds. Yeah. And these little things have slipped out that really do clue you on. I mean, including all the other stuff that John literally provided himself. Thanks for listening to this episode of Did You Miss It? Before you go, don't forget to show some love for your newest obsession by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and stay up to date with us on social media at Did You Miss It Pod. Stay tuned for next week where we continue our deep dive into more murders, mysteries and everything in between.